Welcome to the Global Game, a Yuru Sports podcast where we learn about behind-the-scenes experiences of current and former college, professional, and Olympic athletes who have reached extreme success on and off the field. Our guests share their unique experiences and how they navigated their path to success and transitioned to the different stages of their careers. Elite athletes from all backgrounds are going to share their adventures, motivators, even some horror stories that will ultimately provide you with the knowledge and tools to become your best. Yuru Sports is built by athletes for athletes. The word Yuru is Maori, meaning access and community. And that's exactly what we provide for standout athletes worldwide. Access to information, opportunities, and a powerful, knowledgeable community. I'm your host, Allison Walsh. After playing collegiately at the University of Arizona, where I was a three-time All-American, I qualified for the LPGA Tour right out of school and played full-time as a tour professional for 11 years. During my career, I got to experience playing all over the world with the world's best. Needless to say, I certainly had a fair share of self-doubt, intimidation, horror stories, but of course I had my successes. I would not be where I am today, though, had it not been for the knowledge and the support of the community I developed along the way. That being said, I cannot wait to share other amazing athletes' stories and their knowledge of what they learned throughout their careers. This week's guest is my friend, Michelle Wee. Michelle is a teen phenom who always knew what she wanted, literally. She told me she crossed sports off a list to land on golf because she, quote, wanted to be an athlete. And it certainly paid off. Michelle Wee has matured under the spotlight. She's had eyes on her success from the early age of just 10 years old to today as a grown woman and a recent new mom. Known as one of the greatest athletes in the world, Michelle has made her mark in history on the golf course, but she's now hungry to be known for more. With a passion for innovation and investment, she's strategically building a portfolio focused on women and minority-founded companies to be a mover for positive change. Check out this episode to learn more about the young girl from Hawaii that's been wowing us for generations and more to come. Let's kick it off. So Michelle, grew up in Hawaii as a teen phenom, became a teen phenom that we all knew about. What age did you start playing golf and what age did you really realize this is what I'm going to do? I'm I'm legitimate at this sport. Super young. I started (laughs) when I was four and I knew I was kind of good right away. I was like Mark partially mixed with cockiness and, and super confident, but I knew I wanted to be a professional athlete since like day one. It's always something I wanted to do. I actually wanted to play professional tennis, realized I suck at a lot of things athletic. I'm just, I'm really good with hand-eye coordination, but just really slow feet. So I was good at baseball, like hitting the ball if I had to catch a ball, there'd be no chance. Uh, if I had to run between the bases, whatever, no chance. So I kind of like started Xing things off the list. I was never going to do gymnastics. I was, you know, five, seven when I was 10. So golf was kind of the only thing that was left. And I was like, I need to be good at this because I want to be an athlete. <laughs> and I just fell in love with it. Um, got good really fast, obviously. Um, qualified for my first national event when I was 10. And then just then on, I just, I kind of, kept getting good. Um, but mostly I just, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the grind. I knew it was what I wanted to do long-term. 
So it wasn't never, it was never a hobby for me from the beginning. It was always, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Now, was it, you know, the mainland here (laughs) domestically, was it weird being in this spotlight trying to progress in a sport being in Hawaii? Were you traveling a lot amongst Hawaii back to the mainland? Yeah. um, You know, and that's kind of why um, I think growing up in Hawaii had a big part to do with my non-traditional path. Um, you know, I had played in everything in Oahu, um, in Hawaii. I won every tournament. I won the most prestigious women's tournament by the time I was 12 by 13 strokes. So I started playing in men's events. And then, you know, obviously Sony Open um, was in Hawaii, like 10 minutes from my house. And I was like, and at that point I was playing in, you know, a couple of men's events here and there. And I was like, okay, this is just like the next one. You know, there's really limited opportunity on the islands and, you know, it's so expensive coming back and forth to the mainland and just so grateful to my parents that they never once was like, oh, you can't do it. Or, you know, they just figured things out all the time. And, you know, that's kind of why I played in LPJ events. Um, you know, when I qualified for the first LPG event when I was 12, I wasn't allowed to play in AJJ events until I was 13. And, you know, by that point, I was kind of like, economically, if I'm going to pay X amount for a ticket to come to the mainland, I was like, I might, might as well play an LPGA event. I feel like it's worth more of my money. Right. Um, that was like really the thought process. And obviously if I was born in the mainland, may have that mindset be a little bit different. I'm not sure, but that definitely took an effect. You know, it's funny being a golfer and of the same age, you know, peers, I never thought of it that way from a financial standpoint of, oh, it makes more sense to go play a professional event than go play like the junior event from a financial standpoint. That's that's interesting. So you you mentioned there the non-traditional path, which is your story. You know, you were this teen phenom out of Hawaii. You turned pro at 16. You were completely under the spotlight because you were just a unique icon at that age. What was that like having massive spotlight on you and having endorsements coming at you? Is it overwhelming? Talk about that a bit. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely non-traditional. I I always wanted to turn pro on my 16th birthday just because it like sounded cool. There was really no other thought than that. And obviously just I I still am with the same sponsors that I am with when I turned pro, Omega and Nike, and just so blessed to have them. But you know, turning pro in 2006 is very different than turning pro in 2022. We didn't have social media back then. I think Facebook was just starting up. Um, There's no Instagram, no Twitter, no Snapchat. So I went to school. My parents didn't drop me out of school. That was like their one rule. Like I still had to go to school. I still had to go to college. Um, They're like, fine, you can do whatever you want. But those are the two things that you still need to do. And so I, you know, when I went to school, my best friend, you know, from sixth grade still doesn't know anything about golf. So it's like, I almost live this double life. Uh, you know, when I played in LPG events, you know, obviously I was like surrounded by the world's best and greatest. And I, you know, had this on course persona. And then when I went back to school, it was like a completely different life that I was living. No one knew about anything. Um, my best friends, we didn't talk about golf, you know, or anything like that. And even when I went to college, it was like still the same way. Now, do you think in hindsight that helped you more than it, you know, cause there's, you did have a little bit of this removal because you're going back to Hawaii, which, which obviously, yeah. you know, mentally helps and, and all that. So 
again, continuing that non-traditional, you turned pro at 16. Then you made the interesting decision to, you obviously couldn't go play college golf for a team because you're a professional for eligibility reasons, but you made that unique decision to go to Stanford as a professional athlete and a student. What made you decide to do that? And what was that like? You know, that was like one of the rules of turning pro that I had to go to college. And I've always wanted to go to college. I wanted to go to Stanford specifically. I only applied to Stanford in the beginning, but my college counselor was like, that's the dumbest thing you could ever do. So I, I applied to other schools. Um, but honestly, to me, if I didn't get into Stanford, I felt like no other university was going to be worth my time to do both. Um, then it was going to be so difficult. Um, my dad didn't get into Stanford. Um, so it was one of those things that my whole life, I was like, I'm going to into Stanford and <laughs> prove that I'm better. But I got in, thankfully, and it's the best decision I've ever made. You know, I, I put graduating from Stanford on par with winning the U.S. Open. You know, it's one of my biggest dreams growing up. My grandfather, you know, was a visiting professor there. My aunt and my uncle both went there. Like I said, my dad didn't get in. I mean, so you pen. I mean, he's a really smart guy, Um, but, you know, it's just like a a lot of family history there that I I really wanted to be a part of and um, best four and a half years of my life. It was super difficult. I just also wanted to make the message to athletes that you don't have to choose between one or the other. You know, there's 24 hours in the day and it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. You know, you you can have it all if you want to. And it was really cool to see, you know, players like Allison Lee and Bronte Law, you know, turning pro, but still finishing, you know, the degree at UCLA. Um, so it's really cool to see that happening more. Do you think being an athlete, the ability to balance both, if you will, easier, or do you think because you were also, you know, your mind's focused on performing in a sport and performing academically, do you think it made it harder? No, or I think kind of it's yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I went to a really hard high school and, you know, the only time I had time to do homework was either in the car when my parents drove me to the golf course, or I would finish it while I was at school during, you know, breaks and recess. So just from a really young age, I was, um, I I'm really not a procrastinator. I, it gives me anxiety to procrastinate. So I have to do like assignments as soon as I get it. So that really helped me during my college years. But I think just being an athlete, no, is never an answer. Um, you just find a way, you know? Yeah. And now, and then on the other side, you probably took a lot of learnings from being a student and the grind there and having that separate life and bringing it to, to the LPJ. So when you were playing and, and it's funny, like I never even asked you this stuff while we were, while you're amongst it, but were you using resources back at Stanford? Were you taking proctored tests? Were you doing it all separately? Like how did that work? Yeah. Um, you know, I was definitely taking tests on the road. <laughs> it was really difficult. So um, a lot of times I had to take it the same time that they were taking it. So I remember one year when we played in Dubai, I had to wake up at 3 a.m. Um, the morning of the first round to take a three hour statistics test, which was so much fun. And I just I remember going into the first round being like, I can barely keep my eyes open. I think I drank like chug, like two diet Cokes before my tea time, which I never do, but it's just stuff that you just make it happen. I mean, that to me was normal life. You know, the fact that I even got to take my test, I didn't have to, you know, give up on certain tournaments, you know, Stanford really fosters a entrepreneurial spirit. You know, they celebrate non-traditional paths. So it was really great to be a student and, you know, do kind of cool things at the same time. Nice. And it clearly didn't affect your golf because, you know, obviously you graduated and then, you know, you won a decent amount of golf tournaments and, you know, you won your U.S. your U.S. Open at Pinehurst in 2014. 
played on five Solheim Cups. First win was what tournament? So I won twice while I was at Stanford. Which one you won in Mexico? Mexico 2009. So I didn't join the pro technically until 2009. So I turned pro 2006. So I didn't want to petition um, before I was 18 to join the tour because I was happy playing only six, seven events a year. And so my freshman year, I was like, I just want to, you know, be a freshman, you know, get that over with. I joined the tour um, technically 2009. So that's one of my, I played in a full schedule since then. Yeah, I love that. You knew kind of what you wanted and how you wanted to go about it. I recently was interviewing someone and they kind of have a formula of success, right? Everybody's trains differently, practices differently, travels differently. What did you find most success in doing habitually and what took you off track? Um, Being on a schedule really helped me. Um, You know, I think I was doing it without even realizing I was doing it. You know, as you know, like when we're out on tour, like I do things in a very habitual way. Like it doesn't matter. And like, you can join me on a tea time if you want, but I'm going off at seven 30 on a practice round and I'm doing, you know, a, B and C afterwards. And a lot of times, you know, we actually did get to play together in practice rounds, but you know, it's kind of, you know, just really selfish, um, you know, me before anyone else and just kept the schedule. And, you know, it's, it's something that you don't realize that you're doing, but you know, when you do it, when you're out there grinding, it's yeah. normal. And it, and it honestly, it, it builds these habits that are actually super skills to have in everything else now in life that I'm noticing now that I've stepped away. I'm so grateful for the way I, it trained me, if you will. Yeah. So I know now you're in like a whole different transition. You've, you're a mother to the cutest little girl. You got married, you're still playing. And I know you still have intentions to play. I don't know to what extent, as far as playing full time, um, you haven't done that obviously in a few years. What, what have you noticed, like, is the biggest loss, like something you miss the most right now, not being involved? Hanging out with you guys, for sure. You know, it's as, as hard as it was. I mean, you know, this better than anyone, as hard as it was traveling. I mean, the fact that we had each other and all the fun times that we had, and it was almost like struggling together was at that time, not fun. But looking back, you, you know, it, it was fun. You know, we all just went through it together, the same things. And you know, it's strange because when you kind of enter quote unquote, the normal world, no one has the same shared experiences as you. Um, whereas, you know, you Marina, you know, Webby, everyone, we just all have the exact same shared experience. And we just know things without even having to talk about it, which is definitely something I miss. You know, it's just, I think at every stage in your life, there comes um, an adjustment and I'm definitely going through one right now. Yeah. No, it's the vulnerability that you kind of live your life with, with these teammates out there that, cause you do get this different bond with those type of friends. So parallels well with what we're doing at Euro sports, we have a platform now with like-minded people that understand the experience. That being said, having a community of athletes from, from the LPGA, is it something that you're going to tap into constantly in your life? Yeah. I mean, the LPGA moms are definitely a great resource that I, I, I talk to. Um, I mean, because, you know, it's hard being a working mom and especially being on tour and doing all that. I mean, like the shared experience thing, there's no one more that has um, the same shared experiences as a mom on tour. Um, So yeah, they've definitely been a great resource. I would love to be a part of the LPGA family as long as I can. And, you know, definitely always still very passionate about, you know, the pay gap and equal pay and, um, equal resources and just equality in general. I think being a female athlete 
Um, that's something that we've had to fight every single day of our lives. And just because I'm not out there every day doesn't mean that, you know, it's not on the top of my mind every day. So important. Now you involved in a lot of, you do a lot of venture cap. You've, you know, obviously from our own personal conversations and then, you know, I'm in this athlete world. So I read about, I read about something new about you and I'm like, Oh, Michelle's getting involved in this. (laughs) You know, you're vested a lot into some really cool and upcoming companies you know, Tonal, the fitness um, company, LA Golf, which is now a new big golf, uh, golf shafts and putter, recent putters, sport box, AI. Are these opportunities, like, how did you get into that? Are these opportunities from these athlete network or did you kind of research on your own? What, how did that all start? Yeah, it actually, you know, a lot of the, especially Tonal and sports box, it definitely threw like the, the athlete world. Um, you know, a lot of times, I mean, I love consumer facing products, but you know, I'm really trying to build a portfolio that's mission driven. You know, I love companies that are minority women owned, um, women owned in general, um, companies that have a sustainable mission, companies that have a um, an equality mission, trying to get everyone to play sports, um, you know, just decrease barriers and all that. And, um, you know, obviously sports box AI checks off a lot of it, you know, minority owned business, I mean, CEO, founder, um, you know, just being able to give 3D technology to everyone, you know, before we had to pay like a lot of money to get our swing on 3D. So I love companies like that, you know, Tonal, you know, once I used it, I, I called them up and was like, um, you know, I would love to invest. So, you know, each deal happens differently, um, but I'm definitely very new to the space. So it's been a great learning experience. And I feel like investing in all of this is, you know, very sport-like. You kind of have to have that same mentality and um, have that same drive. And now like tonal, right? So you started using it as, as a customer and you're like, wow, this is great. Is that kind of another way you're in? Or do you find yourself just because you are this iconic athlete, do you get poached a lot for ideas? And then, yeah, um, you know, I get approached a lot, obviously. Um, And it's all by networking. It's all by people that I know, Um, you know, other people that are like, oh, I found this company. And, you know, I'm always in all these conversations and always want to learn. So I just kind of come into the conversation being like, oh, I just want to learn about this company. I want to learn about what you guys are doing. Um, you know, I have reached out to companies myself after using the product. Um, and just, it's just, it just, it's very different. Um, I partner with PitchBook, which has been super, super helpful in giving me the right data, um, and making decisions to invest. So that's been really helpful to have, but obviously, you know, my agency also really helps as well. Um, there's actual sections now, the agency that, you know, handle these types of deals. So learning a lot from, you know, many various people. No, it's cool. We at Eurosports, we have an athlete entrepreneur group that's that's getting really engaged. And, you know, a lot of people that are in your transition or people that have been doing it for years have these great opportunities, right? And they'll pitch it out there and you never know where people are going to come in and, you know, have some sort of correlation to it or outreach that may dive somewhere else. So that's something we're we're super tapping into. And it's been really fun because like you said, the athlete community is big, but small. So there's so many great ideas floating around. Now, what about philanthropy and charity? I do have my foundation. Um, I haven't done much with it yep. recently. I just kind of donate randomly. Um, I work really closely with the HSJGA, which is the Hawaii State Junior Golf Association, knowing the issues that I've had, you know, growing up on the islands and you know, knowing the cost that goes from going back and forth, we do a lot with helping raise money for that. 
um, raise college scholarships. I have my own tournament there. So I do a lot of things with them. Um, obviously I've helped the LPGA come out with the, the hoodie for golf, which has been great. Um, you know, we've had the opportunity to donate over $350,000 through that. So that's been amazing campaign last year, but, um, definitely want to revamp my foundation and, you know, really figure out what I want to do with that, which has been the hardest part. Yeah, no, that's great. The, the hoodie for golf, you know, is just the beginning stages of the impact like you can have and, you know, the trend in women's sports right now and to have all these other athletes from different leagues and franchises get involved. It's, it's super rewarding to see that. So kudos to you to get that going. So speaking of that, because, you know, you're married to somebody that's in the basketball industry, you have obviously athlete connections in all different pipelines. There's so many athletes doing so many amazing things and, you know, being biased, there's a lot focusing on women's sport right now. Are there athletes in your mind that are inspiring you that are doing a lot off the field, if you will, right now? Oh yeah. There's a bunch. I mean, obviously Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, all our players that I look up to and, you know, seek mentorship from, because it's just amazing. They're just such high level athletes, but yet their brain is so compartmentalized that they're able to think, you know, A, B, and C, you know, all separately. And they just have a lot of big deal flows going on, even in the middle of the season. I mean, obviously more happens during the off seasons, but it's just like really amazing talking to them um, that they're just so multidimensional and just so smart in all these areas. So definitely trying to learn a lot from other athletes that have gone into this space. Yeah. And would you say that that community has been 99% or the most integral part of you finding opportunities that you are now embarking upon? Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, you know, to some extent, all athletes, professional athletes um, have that shared experience, you know, whether it's, you know, going through injury, you know, whether it's, you know, the drive, you know, the ups and downs, you know, it's just some things that you can't explain. You know, a lot of people think like, just because you're a professional athlete, you fly on private planes and you, you know, every day is great. You get paid every day. And that's just like really not the case whatsoever. I mean, especially on our tour, but, you know, even, on the elite NFL NBA level, um, life seems so great, but when you really look at it, it's a tough life to be an athlete, you know, always dealing with some sort of injury, something's always hurting, you know, you're tired, you know, there's a lot of spotlight on you. There's ups and downs, um, you know, good games, bad games. And, you know, just me personally, I remember, you know, having a bad round versus having a good round. It just really changed the mood for the rest of the day. And, you know, I would always try to separate, at all, but you become your sport. And that is, that becomes difficult at times. Yeah. That's something, you know, mental health is huge right now. There's a big thing in uh, talking amongst athletes now more so in a different perspective, the identity crisis, right? Everyone perceives it one way. They don't know internally what, what it's really like. And, and then when you are transitioning into different things, you, some people have a massive identity crisis because all of a sudden you're leaving what your life has been wholeheartedly to something else. So that kind of leads me into a last question. Um, if you had to compass everything and give three pieces of advice to a general athlete community, whether they're, you know, you have a different collegiate experience professionally transitioning out of pro sports, what are, you know, kind of crucial pieces of advice you'd pawn off? Yeah, I would, I think I would say kind of keep that same drive 
keep that same mentality. You know, it's that mentality that separated you in sports and it's going to be that same mentality that's going to get you ahead in business and whatever you choose to do. Um, and it's also so just choose something that you're passionate about. You know, I think that all of us, we were passionate about our sports. Um, so I think it's important to whatever you do, find that same passion and something else and, and keep it going. Um, but also just realizing that, you know, in sport, you know, it's never an, an upward trajectory. You're going to have ups and downs and, you know, you learn to go with it. You learn to, when you get injured, okay, you just adjust and you go from there. And in real life, there's a lot of similarities um, to that. I love all of that advice. Um, man, I learned uh, quite a bit about you that I, I didn't really know. I guess we don't ask these type of questions in our casual friendship chat, but um, really appreciate your time. I know this conversation will be insightful and educational to so many of our listeners, whether it's golf related, investing related, Hawaii related, but Michelle, we really appreciate it and are so grateful that you're supporting our mission at Euro Sports. Thanks for tuning into The Global Game, a Euro Sports podcast where we learn about behind-the-scenes experiences of current and former college, professional, and Olympic athletes who have reached extreme success both on and off the field. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can hear all of our upcoming stories and also give us a follow on Instagram at euro.sports to learn more. Feel free to drop us any questions and provide any feedback. If you're a current or former college, professional, or Olympic athlete, apply to join our professional network. Go to Eurosports.com. Eurosports, built by athletes for athletes. Until next time.